Irish, and the hope of the Irish as the future champion of the world. James, James, I guess I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. I know that these days not everybody gets a second chance. I had a run of bad luck. take it and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew in the 26th chapter and just hold that as we begin our 2016 edition of At the Movies. We're going to do that by looking at a message this morning called What a Comeback using a couple of passages in Matthew and then one in the Gospel of John. And we're going to also use the movie of, or excuse me, the movie The Cinderella Man, which tells the real life story of American boxing champion James Jay Braddock, who began his professional boxing career at the age of 21, fighting as a light heavyweight, who's known for his powerful right hand and experienced immediate success in the ring. In fact, after only four years of, or excuse me, three years of fighting, his record was 44-2 and 2 with 21 knockouts. In 1928, he pulled off a major upset by knocking out a highly regarded contender for the light heavyweight championship. And that secured for him an opportunity to fight himself for the title against an opponent named Tommy Loughran in the following year, 1929. He lost the championship fight in a tough 15-round decision where he fractured his right hand badly. And after it was over, he was deeply depressed and discouraged, and he was now missing his powerful right hand, his most effective weapon in the ring. And so his record in his next 33 fights fell to 11 20 and 2. And shortly after that came the stock market crash of 1929, followed by the Great Depression. And Braddock, who had invested much of his winnings in a failed bank and a failed taxi company, found himself, like many other Americans, completely out of work, completely out of money, and almost completely out of hope. You get a little bit of an idea of what life became like for he and his wife and their three children in this next clip that we're going to watch together.
can't find my socks. Jeff. I'm sorry. Mama. Great. I'm sorry, baby. I washed them last night. I took them right off your feet. Don't you remember? Well, you were out like a light. Keeping this warm. Mama, I want to eat too. Oh, mommy will get you some, honey. Hey, Rosie, Rosie. Good morning, good morning. Oh, um, got a notice yesterday. Gas and electric. Come on. Okay, okay. Here we go. I'll get the milk. There's some left over. Yep. You know, I got that fight tonight at the armory. Yeah, one guy, uh, Abe Feldman. It's 50 bucks, win or lose. Oh, well, that's good. If I beat him, maybe I can get my purses back up to 75. That would be great. Rosie, here's your fork, please. Who needs a cow, huh? Mama, I want some more. Oh, I'm sorry, sweetheart. I need to save some for the boys. Here you go. You know, May, I dreamed last night that I was having dinner at the Ritz with Mickey Rooney and George Raft. Really? Yeah. I dreamed I had a steak. Oh. Thick, juicy steak. Oh. Like this, Rose. Wow. And then I had a mountain of mashed potatoes. And I went back for ice cream three times. Oh. I'm I'm stuffed. I'm absolutely full. I cannot eat another thing. You wanna give me a hand? Jim. Jimmy. The Bible gives us a story of a man who appeared to lose everything only to stage an incredible comeback that led not just to the restoration of his life, but to ministering with power, preaching with boldness, and leading with great authority. I'm talking about the Apostle Peter. And the one thing that the Apostle Peter and James J. Braddock had in common was that even though they failed, they never quit, they never gave up. I'm sure most of us who are here this morning or who are listening wherever you might be today are familiar with, with Peter's story of failure. I'm talking about the night of Jesus' arrest when Peter denied Jesus three different times. It's actually such a significant event in the life and the story of Jesus that it's recorded in all four Gospels. And if you're a student of the Bible and you know much about the Gospels, you know how rare that is. It's rare to find one event that appears in all four Gospel accounts of Jesus' life, and yet Peter's failure is there in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Why do you think that is? I don't think the answer is complicated. I think there are two reasons why. First, to teach us that no one, everyone say no one, no one is immune to failure. It doesn't matter who you are, no one is immune to failure. And the second reason that it's there in all four of the Gospels is to teach us that even the greatest failures can make a comeback. 
Because what happened when Peter denied Jesus on the night of his arrest wasn't the end of Peter's story. And that's what I want to talk to you about for a little while this morning, Peter's great comeback. But before we can talk about his comeback, we have to understand the events that created the need for the comeback. And so if you have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 26, I want to invite you wherever you are to stand with me in reverence and respect for God's Word like we do each and every week as we make the public reading of Scripture a part of our service. And I'm going to read two passages from Matthew 26. I'm going to read, first of all, verses 31 through 35. I'm going to turn the page in my Bible and read verses 69 through 75. You follow along with me. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. And then in verse 69 and following, now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. And after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Okay, there it is. That's the reading of God's Word. You can be seated this morning. Now, as I already said, what happened to Peter on the night that he denied Jesus wasn't the end of his story. It simply set the stage for his great comeback. And I suppose you could say that Peter experienced that comeback for a number of different reasons. But I'm going to tell you this morning that a major reason was because he simply refused to quit and he refused to give up. I know that there are other reasons why. I know that doesn't sound very deep or theological and maybe oversimplistic, but I believe that's true. I believe behind anybody's comeback, there's got to be some moment of resolution where you say, where you say or decide, I'm not going to give up. But what is it that gives certain people the ability to persevere in spite of great obstacles or in spite of great levels of failure? It's the recognition of a greater purpose in their life. It's the recognition of a commitment to something bigger and more important than themselves. And so for everyone who has ever stumbled or anyone who has ever failed in their life, if you're going to make a comeback, then there's got to be that moment in your life, that time when you make a commitment to the calling on your life or the purpose in your life, the things that are most important in your life, and you make that commitment with great clarity. That happened for James Braddock when he was down and out at a time when he almost lost his family. There's a scene early on in the movie, The Cinderella Man, where Jim Braddock comes home and he finds out that his oldest son, Jay, has stolen a sausage from the local butcher because their family didn't have much food to eat. And so Jim takes Howard back to the butcher's shop with a sausage so that he can return it and apologize to the butcher for stealing it. And on their way home, there on the sidewalk outside the butcher shop, Jay tells Jim about one of his friends who was recently sent to live with another family in another city because his family didn't have enough food to feed everyone. 
And in an emotional moment in the movie, Jim kneels down on the sidewalk next to Jay, and he looks him in the eye, and he promises him that will never happen to him. He promises his oldest son that no matter what happens, he'll never, ever send him away. But later in the movie, when Jim is unable to get work, and they fall so far behind in their bills that the power is shut off in that tiny apartment they live in, in the middle of a bitterly cold winter, the youngest boy, Howard, becomes sick, and one day when Jim is out looking for work as a longshoreman on the docks, May takes the children and places them in the homes of family members because she's afraid. When Jim comes home to find out this news, you see a man who is absolutely broken, and you also see a man who becomes in that moment willing to do anything, whatever it takes to try to keep his family together. Let's watch that in this next clip. getting worse and then Rosie started to sneeze where are they man Jim we can't even keep them warm where are the kids the boys will sleep on the sofa at my father's in Brooklyn and Rosie will stay at my sister's. Jimmy, we can't keep them. You don't make decisions about our children without me. But what if they get really sick? We already owe Dr. McDonald. You send them away, then all of this has been for nothing. Well, it's just until we get back to even, and then they can If we can't stay together, that means we lost. That means we're giving up. I'm not giving up. I am trying to protect our children. Hey, I promised him. Outside the butchers, I looked him in the eyes, and I promised him with all of my heart I would never, ever send him away. You can't do this. You weren't here? You can't break my promise. Jim, you didn't see. You weren't here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jimmy. What are you doing? Jim? Jimmy? The thing is, I can't afford to, uh, I can't afford to pay the heat. I've had to farm out my kids. You know, to keep cutting shifts down at the docks, and you just don't get picked every day. Sold everything I got that anybody would buy. <laughs> I went on public assistance. I signed on at the relief office. They gave me $19. I need another $18.38 so I can 
pay the bill and get the kids back. You know me well enough to know if I had anywhere else to go, I wouldn't be here. If you could help me through this time, I sure would be grateful. Sure, Jim. Sure. Good luck. Jim. Hey, Jimmy. I think of the Apostle Peter, I think of a man who was unwilling to quit or give up. And I've always believed that one of the most significant moments in Peter's life and the moment where he really got clarity about that happened immediately after his greatest failure when he denied knowing Jesus. We actually read it just a moment ago. It's recorded in Matthew 26 and verse 75, the very last line of verse 75 where it says about Peter, and he went outside and wept bitterly. That was just after he had heard the rooster crow. That was just after he remembered the words that Jesus had spoken earlier in the evening about what would happen later on. There were a lot of emotion in those tears. There had to have been a great level of embarrassment. There had to have been a great level of self-condemnation. But there also had to have been a great level of repentance in those tears. And that's why Peter didn't just slip off into anonymity after his failure, after his mistake. I really believe that that brought a moment of clarity to him. And in the midst of those tears, it, he was able to solidify his commitment to Christ. 
A commitment that fortunately for him, he was able to renew a little bit later with Jesus face-to-face in a conversation they had beside the sea. It was an event that took place after the resurrection, but before Jesus' ascension back to heaven. It was after Peter's denial, but before Peter was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Peter and some of the disciples had gone fishing, and they had an unexpected encounter with Jesus, and they ended up having a meal with him, and that story is recorded for us in John chapter 21. I'm turning in my Bible to John chapter 21. It begins in verse 15. You just listen as I read. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's the apostle John, by the way, was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Stop right there. Now, what happens in this conversation is Jesus reinstates Peter to ministry Jesus knew that in those moments following Peter's denial, when he went outside and he wept bitterly, that Peter was weeping tears of repentance, and Jesus still had a plan for Peter. And so Jesus reaches out to him and reinstates him, and he does it by refocusing him. That's what I want you to see. This is a critical part of Peter's story. In that conversation, Jesus is able to refocus Peter. And what we take away from that is, That just because you've stumbled or you've failed in your life or in some area of your life, that doesn't mean that God is done with you. What's most important is that you don't give up and you give him the opportunity to refocus your life. Now, I don't know what that might look like for you in your life if you're in need of a comeback, but I can tell you what it looked like for Peter in this encounter. Jesus refocused Peter by giving him three priorities. The first priority, you might want to write this down on your insert, is loving Jesus, the priority of loving Jesus. The whole conversation begins with these words. Jesus says to Simon Peter in verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Now, what do you think? Here's a great question to ask about this. What do you think Jesus is referring to when he uses the phrase more than these? When he says, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? If you study this passage of Scripture, you'll find that some people think that he's talking about the other disciples that were there. Not all of the disciples were there, but there were some. And some people believe that he was pointing to the other disciples when he said, when he said do you truly love me more than these? But I think that's a wrong conclusion. I think it's a wrong conclusion because here's the deal. Right before this encounter, Peter had been fishing. He had been fishing and If you read the first part of the chapter, you'll see that Peter was actually in a boat when he first saw Jesus and this encounter first began. And so I think when he said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? He's pointing at the fishing boat and he's pointing at the fishing nets and he's pointing at the fishing gear that would have been there. And in that way, this question is almost a 
renewal or a reminder of Jesus' original call on Peter's life. Because if you remember, if you remember, Jesus called Peter and his brother Andrew to follow him one day when they were fishing along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. They were casting their nets in the water, and Jesus walked by in Matthew chapter 4 and 19 and said, Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I think Jesus was deliberate with this because he knew that a big part of Peter's comeback would be determined by whether or not he loved Jesus more than anything else, by whether or not he loved him more than anything the world had to offer, by whether or not Peter's love for him was supreme. And so he asked him, Peter, do you love me? And Peter answered, yes. Now, it's interesting if you study this passage, there's an interesting nuance with regard to the usage of the word love here in this conversation. And what I mean by that is this. In verse 15, when Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? He uses a Greek word for love, the Greek word agapao, which is a word that describes the absolute highest form of love. It was a supreme love that he's talking about, the deepest, purest kind of love. But when Peter answers him and says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, he uses a different word for love in the Greek language. He uses the Greek word phileo, which is not as lofty a word as the word akapao, and it is a word that primarily refers to affection. It's not a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with it. If after the service I meet you out in the foyer and I say, you know, I've always loved your family, I've always had a lot of affection for your family, that's a positive thing. That's a very good thing. But why do you suppose there's a difference between these words? Because it happened in verse 15, and then it happened in verse 16 again. In verse 16, Jesus asked him again, do you love me? Do you agapao me? And Peter replied and said, yes, Lord, you know I love you, but he used the same word, phileo. Why do you think it was that way? I don't think it's complicated. I don't think it's complicated at all. Surely it's because given his recent failure in making proud boasts, about his faithfulness and then denying Jesus, Peter doesn't want to be so bold this time as to claim that he loves Jesus with the highest and the deepest and the purest form of love. There's no doubt that he loves Jesus, but he's being cautious. So that's what happens in verse 15, and that's what happens in verse 16. You get to verse 17. Look back at verse 17. It says, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Stop right there. Now look up here. An interesting shift takes here. Now Jesus doesn't use the Greek word agapao in verse 17 when he says, do you love me? He uses Peter's word phileo. And Peter's hurt. The verse continues by saying, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. I phileo you. Same word. Peter used the same word each time. You know that I love you. Now, surely Peter was hurt primarily because Jesus continued to ask this question, do you love me, in spite of his answers, but he was probably also hurt because Jesus changed words, probably making Peter feel as though Jesus might have had some doubts about his devotion. So Peter does the only thing that he can do. He calls upon the omniscience of Jesus and the truth that Jesus knows all things, and he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you, and here's what happened. In the most masterful way, Jesus accepts and restores Peter by leading him in a conversation that wasn't about Peter making some kind of a bold profession. It was about Peter sharing an open, honest, humble heart and and being given the opportunity to reaffirm his love for Jesus. And so the first priority in his refocusing was, you need to love me. Don't be bold. Don't be boastful. Just tell me from the heart that you love me. The second priority he gave him was serving others. I'm sure you noticed that each time Jesus asked Peter the question, do you love me? 
And Peter said, yes, Jesus responded by giving him a job to do. Jesus said, this is the way it's rendered in my NIV Bible this morning. The first thing Jesus said was, feed my lambs. And then he said, take care of my sheep. And then he said, feed my sheep. Now, I'm going to make this real simple for the sake of time. An important principle in making a comeback is to begin to focus your attention on others instead of yourself. You know, many times, not always, but many times, our personal failures come because we're too focused on ourselves. We need to move the attention off of ourselves and move it on to others. That's what Jesus had been trying to teach his disciples all along. In fact, look at these words on the screen from Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 and 28. One day Jesus said to the disciples, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And then he used himself as an example. He said, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We need to have the priority of serving others. Let me ask you a question this morning. What do you think your life would be like if when you left church today, you decided you made a resolute commitment that you were going to spend the rest of your life asking the question, what can I do for you? Instead of trying to help yourself, serve yourself. What can I do for you? What do you think the outcome of that kind of attitude would be? There's no way we can say for sure, but I believe that living with that kind of attitude would probably save us a lot of heartache and a lot of anguish and keep a lot of us from having to ever be in a position to need to make a comeback. The third priority, he said loving Jesus was the first one. The second one was serving others. The third priority was simply staying focused. This was a part of refocusing Peter by telling him how important it was for him to stay focused. There's an interesting exchange that happens between Jesus and Peter beginning in verse 18. Where Jesus says, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And then we're told in verse 19 that Jesus said that to indicate the kind of death that Peter would die. And then he said to Peter, follow me. And right after that is when Peter turns and he sees the apostle John following and he says basically, well, what about him? And Jesus responds basically by saying, you let me worry about him, you worry about you. You pay attention to you. It's an interesting exchange. But you know what's most interesting about that to me? Is that in this conversation, Jesus didn't look at Peter and say, Listen, Peter, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen next in your life. You're going to preach to thousands of people. And you're going to lay your hands on people who are sick and they're going to be healed. And you're going to witness and be a part of some of the most incredible miracles that have ever been performed. performed. And you're literally going to be involved in changing history. He didn't look at him and say, Over the next 2,000 plus years, Hundreds of millions of people are going to read your writings and it's going to make a difference in the world. All of those things would come true. Peter would be involved in all of those things, but Jesus didn't say that to him. Jesus basically looked at Peter and said, listen, here's what's going to happen next. You're going to live a hard life. You're going to live a hard life. And when Peter looked at John and said, well, what about him? Jesus said, you don't worry about him. You pay attention to you. That was his way of saying stay focused. And so Peter came to a point in his life where he decided beyond a shadow of doubt that he wasn't going to quit, that he wasn't going to give up, that there was something bigger in his life that he needed to hang on to. And then he got the opportunity with Jesus for Jesus to refocus him and he was able to make a comeback. Let me ask you a question this morning. You need to make a comeback in your life? Well, if you do, the first thing that happens is you need to have that same moment where you decide that no matter what, you're not going to quit. And then you need to have that moment when Jesus has the opportunity to refocus your life. 
That's what happened to James J. Braddock. It happened for him one day when he received something he never thought was possible. He got a second chance. He'd gone nine months without a fight. He got a chance to return to the ring against a highly regarded world heavyweight contender. Braddock was considered a stepping stone in this guy's career, but that wasn't the case. Because he often walked as many as 10 to 12 miles a day looking for work, and because he had begun to rely heavily on his left hand for work, for much of the work that he did because his right hand had been so badly injured, he was stronger and in better shape than he'd ever been in his entire life. And so he went into the ring with that highly regarded contender and knocked him out in the third round, which led to another fight, which led to another fight, all victories, which led to the opportunity to fight for the World Heavyweight Championship against a man named Max Baer. Braddock refocused himself by throwing himself into his training. One day he told a reporter, when you've been through what I've had to face in the last two years, a Max Baer or Bengal Tiger looks like a house pet. He might come at me with a cannon and a blackjack, and he would still be a picnic compared to what I've faced. That fight took place on June the 13th, 1935 in Madison Square Garden. And at the end of 15 rounds, James J. Braddock won the title in a unanimous decision. Now, folks, you can't have a week of at the movies with a boxing movie and not show some boxing. And so we're going to look at this last clip. That's going to be a little bit longer than the others. And if you find boxing distasteful, there's nothing gratuitous in these clips. But this might be a time to look away. Let's run the clip. This is your night. Stay away. Put him down. Put him down. He's a right hand. Right hand. stands at center ring, waiting for the fighters to join him.
champion from 1935 to 1937. Took the money that he won from that championship fight, and he and his wife May bought a home in New Jersey where they lived for the rest of their lives. They raised their three children and lived for the rest of their lives. He enlisted in the Army in 1942, and upon his return home, he worked as a Marine Equipment Surplus supplier, supplier on the same docks he used to try and find work as a longshoreman. He died at the age of 69 and was inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame in 2001. I don't have a video clip of what happened next in Peter's life, but I can tell you that when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 that, Jesus, that Peter would be instrumental in the beginning of the church, that was absolutely true. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, Peter was the main speaker to a crowd that had gathered in Jerusalem that day. Thousands of people, when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers, Peter was the one who spoke up and he preached a powerful message. It began like this with these words, men of Israel, listen to this, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. 